gonna keep saying I'm ready to fight over and ready over to fight. again. This is the opposite of last episode when you were like, I know, I noticed. You and... were like, my favorite thing in the world is when Phil loves something more than I do. And now I'm like, <laughs> never again. Well, you don't. You don't this time. Although I don't know your feelings on the book as much. I mean, I know generally positive. We shouldn't. We, we shouldn't reveal anything yet. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I think maybe you should just. I think maybe you should tell the audience what my feelings on the book are. I'm not gonna do that. I would never. <laughs> I would never take that away from you. I'm mostly going to be asking you about Lee Pace throughout this episode. Uh, I'm gonna have to stay fairly low key on the Lee Pace. Just a I fair know. warning. I'm not, I'm not really going I'm to not gonna just tell stories out of school. Like literal out of high school. Yes, yes. Uh hi, welcome to Pizza Toast. Uh, it's a podcast about middle grade and YA novels and the TV and film adaptations thereof. We've been talking about Twilight. We're uh, going to wind up the actual original series uh, by talking about the second half of the book. And it is the second half, which I hadn't really thought of. Like it, it, of Breaking I thought Dawn. It was just the of last Breaking third. Dawn. But it, yeah, it's a very long back half. And the... Um, the corresponding film, Breaking Dawn, part two. And my yeah. name is Christy. And my name is Phil. And uh, yes. And when you say we we cover we cover YA and high school age stuff and junior high school age stuff, we are we are, as we hinted at up top, going to be discussing actual high school stuff because I did go to high school with one of the actors in this movie. Yeah, my connection to Taylor Lautner, fairly tenuous. Uh, my connection to one of the bit players, two of the bit players in the Hunger Games series, a uh, little stronger, have interviewed them. But you actually did high school theater with one of the many ancillary vampires in this movie. I, one of the many ancillary vampires in this movie actually stayed at my house for a week, a long weekend. Uh, uh, and we, and we, and we hung out all, like, he was actually a friend. He was in our prom group. Uh, oh, that's adorable. As a freshman, he got to go to prom as a freshman in high school because a girl, a senior girl really wanted to go out to prom with him. He looked kind of like one of the Smurflings at the time. He was incredibly tiny. I know that it's hard to imagine. He was a tiny little boy, like undersized. Uh, That's so interesting because now Super Yaki literally sells t-shirts that say Lee Pace is 6'5". Yes, yes. He is, he is a he very, is. very tall man. Uh, Lee Pace plays one of the uh, standout uh, new mutants in this movie. Yes. Oh, yes. Because, make no mistake, as you said, this is an X-Men story done better. <laughs> This is an X-Men story. It's not done better than an X-Men movie, but no. it's definitely... The Twilight series is as well-written, probably better written than anything Chris Claremont ever wrote for the X-Men. I'm coming right out and saying it. X-Men comics were not very well plotted or written or characterized. Anyone who makes fun of Twilight for being kind of trashy, badly written fiction, but also... 
throws themselves onto the spikes of the classic X-Men or the greatest thing ever committed to paper uh, have no legs to stand on. Those things are borderline unreadable. It is fu- it is funny how super heroic and super team mm-hmm. this is uh, by the end of it, especially the way the final fight. Yes. And I have a lot to say about that <laughs> final fight. Uh, it's staged. It looks very what if Avengers Endgame uh, <laughs> uh, um, climactic sequence, but cold outside. Yes. What and- if they what if they didn't have time to render the entire airport and they in civil war War, and had to just fight on the most blank field you've ever seen in a movie there's so much here though that now i'm like well twilight did this first which is an interesting thought uh and i like the superhero powered vampires i like them a lot i think they add a lot of fun color to the book which okay the book begins with uh, Bella's transformation into a vampire. Yes. And in the movie, we never get the wonderful, horrific description of how much pain Bella is in as she turns into a vampire. The movie just has to skate right over that because it is all internal monologue. It's all really well done. And it's awful to read. Just a, yes. just a nightmare sequence. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie Meyer said it's the longest it part of the book it ever took her to write like she spent the most time it's like three chapters of just description of how horrible it is to turn into a vampire uh which good because the the three books previous have been building to this constantly telling us how horrible it is to turn into a vampire the thing that keeps get, kept getting me during this whole sequence is like she's talking about how it feels like there are flames covering different parts of her body uh and uh how all she wants is relief from the burning but if there is no burning then there is just like ice coldness and then there there's like a fire in her throat as soon as she wakes up because she wants to drink some blood yes uh she is temporarily distracted by the baby but uh they go hunting very quickly and it's very fun uh and that is basically what they jump straight to in the movie when you say and when you say jump straight to we mean they jump (laughs) straight to it i have it's weird i felt like the special effects in this movie were a step down from the special effects in breaking dawn part one i felt like the wolves the movement of the vampires everything in part one was very fluid very cool looking and that a lot of the vampire effects in this one felt like they were straight out of the first one and i'm wondering if there was just a time crunch i think it's time on the effects because uh, there are things like uh the first time bella i mean the first and only time in that we see bella eating a mountain lion like attacking it and eating it it's really bad uh and my favorite use of cg that is actually like pretty seamlessly handled but still very silly is when bella realizes that all she has to do is like kick and punch a boulder to break it apart and i thought that was uh she's delighted by this in the book and it and everyone is delighted in the movie there's like hooting and hollering for bella displaying her strength oh because as you mentioned while you're reading this book bella's the perfect vampire right that's her special power is that she's better at being a vampire than any vampire who's ever lived. They they manage to downplay it a bit as it goes along, as we figure out why she's kind of that way. But 
Uh, we also discover that her mutant power is her ability to not be affected by other vampires. But as in any X-Men, your mutant ability is actually, there's, there's a greater level to it. So she's not just able to fend off other vampires' powers. She's able to actually expand the shield, uh, uh, Violet Incredible, Violet whatever her name is in The Incredibles, <laughs> style and like protect everyone around her from other vampires which is a cool power and one thing the book does that i love that the movie is just unable to do because the movie's not 18 hours long is <laughs> just get nerdy and nitpicky about the limits of their abilities what happens if she pushes the shield out but it encompasses a person who's trying to use their vampire powers again because then all of a sudden you're trapped in the bubble of her shield even though you're an enemy like it goes it goes into all the the nerdy nitty gritty that I'm like, oh, Stephanie Meyer, who has admitted that the X-Men comics were an influence on this book, uh, is a superhero. You can tell she just loves that nerdy stuff. And the thing that I really like that they're not able to accomplish in the movie, because like, as you said, it's not 18 hours long, is there are specific members of the vampire squad they build that are able to help Bella with her power because their powers have some overlap with it. Or it's in some way the offensive power uh, coming up against her defensive power is the best way for her to learn how to use it. So, like, there are ma- like this character is Zafrina, who can basically conjure mind pictures and make people think they're something somewhere else or seeing something else. Uh, helps Bella learn how to control the shield as she's like, "Can you make people stop seeing this thing?" And then uh, Kate, whose power is Electro. Her power is Electra. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's one of the Denali clan. She emerges in the movie as one of my favorites. I think uh, mm-hmm. I think her the actor playing her is very charming and has a good tete-a-tete with, uh, with Lee Pace. Uh, and they're the... romantic couple. Which actor, which, uh, which actor is she? It's Kate, that's, and I do not remember her name. That's, uh, I, I, I went through, I was going through all of the actors, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's not it's not uh, the Tick's Valerie Curry, who no. plays one of the other Denali vampires. You're, um, you're going to have a... to forgive me for not reading the uh, 6,000 word uh, closing credits of Breaking Dawn it's, Part 2. Kate, you're, th- are, you're thinking of Casey LeBeau, uh, the actress I really Casey like her, LeBeau. and both her and Tanya looked very familiar to me, but I've not really seen them in anything. They just yeah. have that look about them. Tanya looks like seven other uh, Hollywood actors, so that's not right. Her right, uh, and there's not much impact she makes for being kind of an important figure. But one thing I wanted to say, jumping off what you said, is one thing the book does really well that unfortunately we don't get in the movie because, and you don't get this in a lot of superhero movies, that. In superhero comics and superhero fiction, it's really cool when they manage to make a team, all of their powers are important. Like everything they can do, they work together to help defeat whatever they need to defeat. And as you said, so much of this section of the book is devoted to figuring, sort of weaving together, not just that, but like how Alice's perceptions, you have to keep certain things like unknown to certain vampires because the the Volturi have my a mind reader so only certain vampires can know certain things at certain times there's a lot of like well I mean the the book cover is a chess board mm-hmm. and it's a lot of pieces that Meyer does a really good job at moving around 
so that it all kind of clicks into place at the end. Uh, uh, strangely enough, a lot of it doesn't even need to click into place because she she manages to do the thing that X-Men rarely do, which is talk their way out of a situation. Uh, oh, and I love this. And this is like, I, okay, I really like the movie mostly because it is like, let's form a super team. I love, yeah. I love to see a super team formed. Some of my favorite comics because i used to read a lot of comics uh, a shocker to everyone listening this is, used to be a big part of my life particularly marvel comics and like the marvel now relaunch of a lot of titles i love not the avengers because we've seen them done too many times before i love the secret avengers and i love the young avengers because these are people who are differently gifted from like it's not just super strength it's like let's punch our way into another dimension let's be yeah. the world's best assassin and very irritating to the rest of the team because <laughs> deadpool is actually a good comics character and i'll go yes. to the map for that but i really love seeing a bunch of misfits thrown together or in the case of young avengers it's a lot of people who are not familiar with fighting together with anyone because they're young here you have a lot of people who are very resistant to fighting in general because it's just not what they do, especially when they're up against the Volturi. But once they touch the no, once the baby touches their face, they they're powerless against her charm. Oh, the baby! I don't want to say the name. Like if we can avoid saying the name, that would be really cool for me. Nessie, Nessie the Nessie the the little dinosaur. Um, yeah. So <laughs> Nessie Renette... is actually kind of cute. Let's be like that name. And we get a good and we get a good laugh line off of it. A, a, a laugh line that is in the novel and yeah. and we get the you name my kid after Loch Ness monster. A line which gets made fun of in like in like ironic twilight circles, like a stupid line from Twilight where I'm like I think it's intentionally goofy. It's intentionally it's a goofy line. Like It's intentionally goofy and it's also a totally reasonable thing for Bella to be annoyed at Jacob about. Yeah, and it undercuts the tension very nicely. There's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of drama going on. Uh, There's so much Bella can be annoyed at Jacob about in the first little bit of uh, the second half of the book. Now, you said last episode that you didn't feel Breaking Dawn warranted being split into two movies. But I felt one of my criticisms on this film is that it's very rushed at times. Uh, They introduce like 15 characters in about a five minute gap. That they then kind of expect you to know who they are. Most of them don't have a line. And almost all of them are played by television actors. You will... like. It's A lot of it's stunt casting. Like, you're going to mm-hmm. recognize these faces, but they're never going to speak to you. And like the X-Men, oh boy, if they're from Ireland, they're dressed like they just stepped out of steerage <laughs> on the Titanic. If they're from South America... You better bet they just stepped out of a jungle and are wearing loincloths. Yeah, like that it's... I don't love. I'm not uh, <laughs> crazy about the styling of the the women from the Amazon, uh, and especially because they're like fairly important characters. Who, yeah. Like, particularly Zafrina, who is the one who can project images uh, into other people's minds. She forms a very strong connection with Renezme. I'll, I'll say it. Uh, because Renezme's power ends up being, uh, she can touch your face and show you her memories. Yeah. Uh, she can show you, she can perfectly conjure a thing that just happened. Uh, if she has a question about a thing that just happened, she'll kind of show what her perspective was on it. This is before she is verbal. 
Although she continues to use this a lot after she starts talking. Uh, by the end of the book, I think she's supposed to look about like six or seven years old. Uh, she develops quickly. This is why we get the, the Volturi conflict because uh, Arena. Mm-hmm. Why is she? There's no reason for her to be there, by the way. Like, why is she even there in the first place? Oh, uh, she's just a neighbor. She's a neighbor. <laughs> she's just, just walking through out. the woods. She lives in Alaska. It's that is neighbor. Uh, that's like uh, living in Alaska. Alaska to Washington for a vampire is like the olden days when your closest neighbor was like a mile and a half away. Like, okay. it's kind of like that. Like, they could just, she just zipping around and then she sees Renee's May jump in about a hundred feet into the air to catch a snowflake which i don't think happens in the book in the book she's just hanging no. out with jacob she's and... hanging out with jacob and uh she does look to all the world like an immortal child because yes. she has the vampire vibe and uh immortal children i am delighted by the visual explanation we get of them in this in this movie it's the most uh like straight horror we've seen in this series since yeah. eclipse i would say like because we get dakota fanning throwing a toddler who's just uh destroyed a village into a fire <laughs> pretty great she yeets a baby into the fire like it's <laughs> nothing like it's a sack of garbage also a noticeably older dakota fanning in this movie from the last time we saw her. when we first meet dakota fanning in the series she is a teeny petite now she is a college student and there's just no way they can hide that. Like she looks older and that's, it was the only time I was like, I really wish they Renee's made her face down a little bit so that, Oh, because the genius of this movie is they didn't just cast a bunch of babies and little kids as Renee's may at different ages. They cast a bunch of babies and little kids. And then using the magic of computers, took the face of the child playing regular age Renesmee and sort of grafted it on to these increasingly younger children so that when you're talking to them, it's like you're talking to a boglin or one of those little old man puppets you stuck your fingers in and kind of did this. Like this that is, you got... I don't usually send you screen caps of what we're doing, like what we're watching. <laughs> this is the one time I had to because the faces that the <laughs> that she makes when she's a baby and a toddler are so grotesque, but also I can't stop looking at them because there's something very endearing. Especially because the baby, the baby baby is just a baby. Yes. But they want it to they want her eyes to be recognizable as the big thing. So they've they've grafted a fake face over a regular baby face that doesn't always line up with the head it's on. Like it sort of <laughs> slides around the head in that in that early 2000s fake CGI way. That's weird because this was only 10 years ago. They had done this successfully many times in movies at this point. Well, also because she still has to look like a half vampire after it's just Mackenzie Foy playing her, like at her age, she still looks kind of weird. Like it's st- right. still an uncanny valley thing about this actual little girl. She looks kind of weird, but that's okay because they're vampire. Like they all look kind of weird. Like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. okay with the vampire family looking weird. Uh, or as Alana said, as she was watching this movie with me, uh, uh, and saw Edward for the first time. Oh my God, he's grotesque. He's disgusting. 
So you two are still together, right? <laughs> so Alana, I, I convinced Alana to watch this movie with me. She swears she's seen a Twilight movie. I She can't remember which, nor does she remember anything about it. She watched some of it with Mitzi. I, even though I'd be like, you've never seen a Twilight. She's like, I did. I watched part of one with Mitzi once. But the whole time she's like, who is this? I'm like, that's Jake. <laughs> which one is he? He's the werewolf. She hated Edward so much because she thinks Robert Pattinson looks like a creep, which he kind of does. I mean, I admit it. She hated uh, every like character. To be so wrong, though. She hated every character. <laughs> she hated everything that happened. She hated the way everything looked and the way everyone talked and everything about them. Like she was visibly upset. She just watched this terrible comedy on on streaming called Bar Fight! Exclamation point. That was one of the worst, worst comedies I've ever like walked in and out of. Like just sort of as I came in, like. And she was like, bar fight was better than this. And it was unfair of her to say. So she did not care for But again, it's the fifth movie in a series that's already more or less concluded. <laughs> I was just curious it's to see true. what happened. This is like a postlude because, uh, I mean, the general, the general plot here is, well, we have to have some kind of conflict now that everything's like the dust has settled. Yeah. Um, why don't we make it that Arena... The kind of uh, self-made cast-off from the Denali clan, see Renesme, think she's an immortal child, which is this uh, verboten thing that the the Volturi uh, does their best to eliminate everywhere it happens. It hasn't happened in however many years. Goes to the Volturi, and the Volturi is like, well, this is unacceptable. We better go see what's going on and confirm what she said. So... Uh, Edward's idea is that they gather... No, is it Carlisle's idea? I think it's... Carlisle and Edward, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, one of them is... Or one or both of them are like, hey, let's gather a bunch of witnesses just to... Just so they can confirm for us, like, and for the Volturi that, uh, Renesme is not an immortal child. And, uh, then the Volturi shows up in the book. Uh, they're like... We get a lot more Caius in the book. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, very, yeah. He's very vocal in the book. In the movie, it's mostly just Michael Sheen being whatever it is that he does as Arrow, having the because time that's of what, his life. That's what we pay for. Like we paid <laughs> oh. for this. Do you have on? I mean, like I did have to go back and rewatch the giggle like a few times. The <laughs> giggle was good. Uh... He has an it incredible is, laugh the first time he sees it. It is funny, though, because in switching the perspective of the main Volturi, you, they had to do a few, like, scriptural gymnastics to get them back into the correct positions they needed to be in at the end. Because, mm-hmm. again, he's not the one who does most of the negotiating in the book. So he's not... So they had to, like, make him the evil one and then the good one and then the evil one again. Like, it has to, like... Because He's the, the more his mind yeah. a lot, yeah, uh, and I mean the reason he ultimately opts to be a, a <laughs> upstanding and just is because he knows he would die otherwise, which is fun. Uh, in the book, he just eventually sees reason because they have a conversation like adults, which is great. It's the book got a lot of criticism when it came out because for four books we've been building to this confrontation with the Volturi. 
And then when it happens, it's just a long talk on the ice. It's not just talk. There's a lot of mind games going on and a lot of like people trying to use their powers and Be Bella having to throw her shield out and like a lot of that. I, but when it comes to the movie, they're like, we can't just have them standing around on the ice, like frowning at each other, which is what it would look like. So they pull off probably the coolest plot coup in the history. A plot coup that's only cool once because you're not expecting it if you're not expecting it. But they they throw it and basically did it just to upset the kids in the audience. Like as a reader of the book, when the fight scene starts, the first time you see it and you don't know that that's going to happen, it is so disorienting. So you're like, this isn't how this story ends. I want my happy ending to this story. It's so much neater. And what it like, what is going on? How are this many people dying? And you really, it works. Like they, they threaded the needle with it where you are convinced because Carlisle is the first real casualty. And at yeah. that point, you're like, well, they're not going to hold anything back if they're killing daddy. So. Right. But they, it still yeah. makes sense because you're like, they can do that. They 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 still have an out. They've killed one vampire. We can get a scuffle here. You can lose Carlisle and still have the end of the book. That's fine. But yeah, once they start killing werewolves, once they start killing all of our favorite characters, uh, the reports. I can't remember what show it was. I was listening to when this movie first came out, but the report was that the opening night audience was literally full of screaming crying teenagers because they went expecting what the movies had been up to that point which was exact faithful adaptations of the books and all of a sudden you see Carlisle get his head ripped off Alice get her head ripped off like and you're like oh 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 and these children are in the audience like wailing because this is not how it's supposed to go it was. It's a pretty funny thing to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's inescapable by now to have been on the internet as long as we haven't not heard the audio of like opening night uh, audiences then finding out that this is all an illusion. So yes. for a long portion of the book, Alice disappears. Everyone yeah. feels abandoned by Alice. Alice left a couple cryptic clues uh, to give uh, basically Bella an escape plan for... Renesme and Jacob, because Alice, in her infinite wisdom, and like this is one of those things where like Alice is very manipulative, but she has the, the it's an ends to justify the means thing. So yeah. she's like, you're gonna want if you and Edward are going to die, which is very possible, then you Bella should ship off Renesme and maybe do that with Jacob as well. And that's what she does. She gets but them but, but please don't ship off Renesme and and Jacob. In this fan fiction sense. We don't need that yet. <laughs> no, no. This is a... They are like big brother and little sister. Because yes. they do... Meyer does an all right job of making it not creepy. I think. Yeah. The imprinting. Because it's acknowledged that this could be creepy. But it really is just that Jacob and uh, Renesmee have this like familial connection that doesn't feel predatory. There's one joke about it in the movie that makes it gross. But aside from that, they do an all right job there too. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. And this is part of that Stephanie Meyer thing where, okay, you have a character who can see into the future. How do you have conflict now? Because she can tell you what's going to happen. Well, you make her the target of the bad guys who want mm -hmm. her power. 
So she has to leave so she doesn't fall into their hands. But also, she can't reveal anything she knows to any of the vampires except Bella because all of the other vampires can have their minds read by the bad guys. So only Bella can know. But you can't tell Bella because then Edward can find out. And like it just it has to it makes sense that she has to set things up this way. Now, I don't. I think she probably could have left a better clue, but I I think that maybe she she knows if the clue is going to work. I guess you don't think you don't think that the Merchant of Venice was a good. <laughs> well, not... oh, Stephanie Meyer said the Merchant of Venice was a big influence on this story because it ends not with a fight but with a long argument between the opposing sides, where the leader of the argument talks the bad guy into backing down and that's how they win. And so she's like, she wanted a Merchant of Venice ending where it all builds to basically a courtroom scene. And that's the dramatic highlight of the Look. story. And so she changed, I think the original, I think the original book was supposed to be like Jane Eyre. And she was like, mm. she changed it to Merchant of Venice at the last minute. Look, I can never stay mad at this woman. Like I think Stephanie Meyer made so many good decisions. Also, uh, Alice going away is not an entirely selfish uh, decision. She is also going uh, to find, if she can, the other wolf, or wolf, the other human vampire hybrid child. Uh, Because there is one that exists, and she has the vaguest idea, and she has to move about the world until she can get a real vision conjured up. And then um, in the book, the the ultimate deciding factor of this, like them not coming to conflict with the Volturi is here's this uh, here's another time this worked out historically. Yeah. Aro can touch that person. Aro can see, oh, they are not lying. And then Aro has to go away because he doesn't go back on his word uh, for better or worse. I mean, he's right. A, he's a. He is what he is. I think <laughs> I think Michael Sheen makes this character so much more interesting just by being buck wild. Like, right. I don't think Aro's actually that interesting. Caius feels much more like a traditional villain. Um, and then you have Marcus, who just seems bored all the time, which I love. Who's barely in it. He just is like sort of glaring at everyone most I love, of the time. He's so happy to die in the, <laughs> in the, in the fake fight. Well, what's interesting is, so they set it up so that the Volturi... The, the the vampires, all the other covens start realizing, figure out that the Volturi, what the Volturi do historically is they p- pass judgment over vampires who may have broken vampire rules. And their word is bond and you, you or, you know, they they have the final say, they get to execute you, whatever. And if, a, and if a coven is found to be guilty of something, they just wipe out a whole coven. What you've discovered, though, is that historically they wipe out a whole coven, but then there's usually one or two who are like repentant, who get to join the Volturi. Well, wouldn't you know it? The ones who are usually repentant are the ones who have superpowers the Volturi want. So what they've determined is that the Volturi are looking for any excuse to wipe out the Cullens so they can get the superpowered Cullens, specifically Alice. But I get the, I bet they'll they'll take anyone they who's got good well, power. They desperately want Alice in particular. I don't think they care as much about Jasper because his power is like I don't, <laughs> well. His power is His what, power is like, being a southern gentleman. <laughs> his power is being was... the confederate with just a bunch of rebels. 
Jasper looks kind of nice in this movie. This is the first time he doesn't look really, like, it's not harrowing to look at Jasper (laughs) in this movie. Uh, They did do a thing where a lot of the ancillary vampires are hot in a non- a weird way like they're just normal people good except for the one like hobo one there's one hobo vampire i can't remember his name what is it? he the guy lives uh, in the attic alistair um, alistair i uh, uh i remember this because he's played by joe anderson and every time joe anderson is cast in a thing and doesn't sing i get upset because he's in the julie tamor across the universe movie and he sings all of the difficult male parts is he the guy who is in once on broadway no. That one of one of the vampires was the guy from once on. I Broadway. bet it was the Irish one. <laughs> he only has one line. He's like Shar and Bagara. And like, what's weird is like there is one bit of casting that is not stunt casting because no one knew who he was yet. But future Oscar winner oh, yeah. Rami Malek is uh who's the really good. He he's, has this. He's does, so he charming. Does that, he does that Rami Malek thing where he like looks up and he has a big smile on his face and you're like, aw, this guy really likes being a vampire. It's a lot less uh, creepy than his usual thing. Like it's a, he's not unnerving to look at in any way. Um, yeah, he's the last airbender in this movie, by no, the he's way. Absolutely, like he couldn't. And yeah, Avatar had existed for a while. Avatar: The yeah. Last Airbender, not Avatar: The Navi. But like, uh, yes. this was like an existent property already, and he can bend all four elements. Like this yeah, is he's just. The, him being Aang. He's or, the avatar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, and he, but, but, but I'll go on and say, realize better than in the movie, The Last Airbender. It just <laughs> pulls it off a lot better. You will hear no argument from me on that <laughs> particular thing, but I like him. Uh, he's fun. And they don't, there is actually like an interesting minor conflict going on there that she's able to dive into in the book with an extra like 20, like there's like 25 pages or so devoted to like how, um, Benjamin, who's the leader of, or Benjamin is the kid. Uh, that's yeah. Rami Malek. Amun uh, is the leader of that coven, the Egyptian coven, and he wants to hone this kid into a weapon. But the kid is very resistant to that. It's just like, yeah. no, I would like to use my powers for good if I use them at all. Yeah. And that makes him like, I can see him being the one of the ones who stays behind with the Cullens. Because it seems mm. like there's a lot of splintering positive at the end of the book. Like, right. uh, the Lee Pace vampire, Garrett, uh, who was, what do they call them? Nomads. Uh, yeah. They call a bunch of them nomads who are like covenless vampires. He joins the Denali clan because somewhere in this book, in the fringes and the between the between the lines, which we don't see him and Kate fall in love. Right. Uh, They also have beefed up his role quite a bit. They've made him a much more visible character in the movie than he is. I mean, he's in the book, but so are a ton of other vampires who are Mm -hmm. kind of each get their own little moments. But they give Lee Pace a lot of moments. I feel like he had to have come on set, come to the first table read or whatever. And they were like. Let's let's give the Pig Man a few. Certain more. they gave him more to do than he initially had to do, because like even his introduction is extremely like. The second he pops up, he attacks a guy who's I think singing like a some kind of off British invasion song and attacks yeah. him in the street, uh, and then uh, Rosalie and Emmett are like, "Come on now, you want to come with us?" And he's like, "Let me finish eating." <laughs> it's all very cute. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. That's it's worth mentioning that all the vampires who come to hang out with the Cullens are all 
human eaters. They are not vegetarians yes. like the Kalar. Yeah, except they the are... Denali clan. So like everybody right. they enlist after that, and a few of them try out the vegetarian diet while they're there and do not like it. <laughs> nope. And neither does Renesme, by the way. She is not a fan of eating mountain lions. She would much Ren- rather... Renesme really likes blood bags specifically. There's a part... Where uh, Bella says that her expression turns smug because uh, they have to cut a hunting trip short. Pretty funny. Pretty funny, weird little baby. <laughs> uh, who also is allowed to uh, age a lot quicker in the movie. Uh, yeah. They get her up so she can walk around and she can talk and be an actress as opposed to being carried around most of the time as she is in the book. Uh, also, Charlie finds out that Jacob is a werewolf. I was just uh, going to mention Charlie because I, I want to talk about how divergent they are in the book versus the movie. Yeah. So Jacob Jacob reveals that he's a werewolf to Charlie by taking off all of his clothes and then turning into a into a monster in front of the man. We get to see it happen in the movie. Pretty uh, funny. Yeah, it's it's played off. It's played for laughs in the film. Uh, but then, uh, Billy Burke does a good little uh, horror reaction to this transformation. Like, yeah. backs off, gets scared. Uh, Billy Burke doing uh, top tier work in this, as he always is. Um, in the movie, he wants to know everything. In the book, he wants to know nothing. No. Yeah. So it's very in the book. It is tell me as little as possible. This is strictly need-to-know basis. In the movie, it's very much the other way around where Bella doesn't want to tell him anything and he would like to know everything and she puts right. the limitation on it. She And to be fair, she can't tell him anything because if right. he finds out about vampires, he's under the... he's He'll be executed by the Volturi. Mm-hmm. So, which seems like a, a fine line. Like, it's a real letter of the law thing with the Volturi. Like, he knows something's up. She's not a werewolf. But there's something going on where she'll never die and never age. So, oh, also my favorite part of the book, it's left out of the movie. And I wish it was in the movie because it's my favorite exchange in the book where you find out beyond a shadow of a doubt from the Volturi that the that, that Jacob and his clan are not werewolves. It's my favorite <laughs> part where the, where the Volturi are like, oh, these aren't werewolves. And even all the wolves are like, what? He's like, no, <laughs> werewolves, our our arch enemies are werewolves. They change into wolves at the full moon. They're werewolves. These are shapeshifters. That's like a whole other thing. And I'm like reading it. I'm like, yes, yes. Like it there happens. are werewolves. It's woven in so flawlessly. <laughs> it happens like pretty abruptly. It's basically an aside. It's like yeah. Stephanie and I are being like, hey, hey, come a little closer. I know they're not werewolves. It's just been so much easier to call them werewolves this entire time. Yeah, well, and they think they're werewolves, but I love the idea that there are werewolves in this world. We just never meet them. There's (laughs) that which which opens up the possibility there have to be Loch Ness like Loch Ness monsters. (laughs) There have to be black lagoons. There have to be Frankenstein's. Like all of that exists in this world. And I desperately need Stephanie Meyer's versions of those things. I need the sort of not quite Disney zombies version of them because it would be Stephanie Meyer, so it would be a little more thoughtful. But she she's gotta have a wild take on these. How does 
you know, the the how does a, a, a flesh eating ghoul fit into the Mormon cosmology? Is just how I is how I want it now. No, I loved this for you. I had forgotten that there was this. Exp- so I had forgot. I forgot more about this book than I remembered. I mean, I remembered that there was no final conflict. I remembered that uh, Bella took to being a vampire very well. I remembered that there was a whole uh, cadre of new vampires. Uh, so I knew like the the kind of like the Cliff's notes. I didn't remember the movie almost at all. Like every everything that happened in the movie was a complete surprise to me, minus the final battle. <laughs> like, and uh, I personally, I, I will again say, we got we got a half a movie syndrome on our hands. This movie is all action. There's no there's no rise to it. It's just assemble the team and let's get going the whole mm-hmm. time. Uh, I don't have a problem with that because it stays interesting the whole time for me. Also, I cried like a—I don't even know what at so, the end. What did you cry at? That's my question. Not, I'm not I, like not like being snarky. I need to know what you cried. At. I don't know. Uh, they we hit. Uh, okay, for one thing, it was that they cut to for the credits an animation of the book page, like the book turning to the final page. And they show the last lines of the book. And that made me tear up a little because it's like, oh, that's such a nice tribute. Like, it's so nice that we're honoring the text. And then they just keep going with that motif. And they're playing a song that always gets me because it is engineered to get you. It is is an off-album version of Christina Perry's A Thousand Years, which is a lovely song. And the second that kicks in and then they start showing All My Friends... (laughs) That I've been spending so much time with. Because we talked about this. Every movie should have this. They show every character uh, and and superimpose the name over it. And uh, we hit all the greatest hits. We get the people from the first movie who never showed up again. Uh, we get uh, Anna Kendrick. We get the boy, uh, Riley, the guy, kid who played Riley Beers. It's nice. It's so we get good. every character, including... Both Bryce Dallas Howard and the other one. <laughs> it's nice. It's it's nice. Yeah. It's 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 when the final Star Wars film came out, I thought they should have gone back and re-edited the beginning of the Phantom Menace so that it started off with like a full old time Hollywood slanted cast list of Every actor who's going to appear in all nine, like for all nine movies, like Star Wars starring because that's what a serial would do. And I believe that any major motion picture like series, the last film has to end with this acknowledgement of every actor who's played every character including the minorest vampires. You wonder who played the third Irish vampire? You get to know. She didn't even have any lines. Uh, There she was. And they were standing there in their tweed and their little page boy caps because they're Irish. I couldn't get over the fact that they treated the Irish characters just like they treated the Irish characters in the original Star Trek series. Remember when they run into the Irish aliens? Yeah, they're cartoons. And they're like, ah, Tartatari, Sharon Bagara. Oh, what are we on? Some sort of a starship? Like, that's literally what the what the vampires were like. So, uh, 
when I've been to Broadway shows, it's essentially since uh, Broadway reopened post lockdown, I've noticed that we're acknowledging the the musicians a lot more and the, and the mm-hmm. stage production crew like way more often during a curtain call more people will come out and it'll be the people that you never actually saw or that have been hidden in the pit the whole time which is very cool this is that this is that for me this is my uh <laughs> this is my broadway curtain call and i don't i think i have also just been maybe it's because of the weather maybe it's because i'm old now I just cry over things now. And this was like, oh, I actually had a really fun time revisiting this series. And we're going to taint that soon with so much bad parody material. But I really did. Like, I I treasure how well these movies shape up over time. Because you get the the wretched first installment. And then it's like, oh, actually, we know what we're doing. Trust us. I I, I I do pre- appreciate the fact that that the first installment has now become the wretched first installment. Like we are we're openly like just deriding this poor this poor first attempt, this low budge director like just trying to make a, a movie that everyone will love. Well, a thing that both of us noticed at the end because it's impossible not to notice is that. Uh, at the end of the book and in the end of the movie, Bella has learned how to take down her shield enough that she can show Edward her memories. Yes. And this is also like, this This is part of what made me emotional too, because this is the thing that Edward has always wanted. And Bella worries that she can never give Edward anything like he has given her. And this is like, this is her finally being able to do that. And yeah, she's been giving of herself this entire time, but it's nice that she has some material things she can do now. And <laughs> in the movie, they show cliffs from the first movie, but they are not blue. And it's really, it's, it's, I don't want to call it unnerving because it's very good. Like, it, like suddenly you're like, oh, what if that movie hadn't looked as bad as it was? Would I, would I dislike it to the extent that I do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. So she you... shows him some really negative memory. It's it's not a good yeah. as it's real. She shows no. she shows him the thing in Volterra. Like it's bad. It's all, but it's their relationship, and they mm-hmm. kind of did this in the last movie too. We saw flashbacks to previous movies, so but they pull it off. They make it work again, which really surprised me. I was like, oh, I might have gotten choked up because I'm. A, I mean, I got choked up at the wedding. I might have gotten choked up if I didn't have Alana sitting next to me being openly derisive of the entire I think that may have colored your experience a bit. I watched this one by myself. This was the one that I watched a lot. I know Alana's listening to this. Sweetie, I am not believing you. (laughs) I am not saying that you made this the enjoyment. This is a perfectly enjoyable movie with or without a naysayer present. It just, just, I probably did not burst into tears at the end because I was a little self-conscious. That's all I'm saying. Whereas Scott walked in and I was like sob not sobbing. I don't wanna I don't wanna make this theatrical, but I was crying a lot, like a good a good amount. And he accused me of somehow having been gaslit into thinking the Twilight movies were good. It's like Yeah. I I think I probably said, well I don't know if they're good, but I do. I do know that they're good. That's the problem. <laughs> so you asked a question in the last episode that I was unable to answer. But now I'm able to answer it, which is, mm-hmm. what was the Mad Magazine title <laughs> of Breaking Dawn? And I'll have you know, there's two, because they did both movies in this 
in this thing. The first one was called The Toilet Saga, Sulking Yawn. Sulking Yawn. That is a long walk. Which includes, well, because Mad Magazine does that thing where they make the title the end of a statement. So Bella says at the end of the previous movie, the whole movie has been a two hour long trailer for the Toilet Saga's Sulking Yawn. And then it begins with them getting married, uh, where Charlie says to her, since you came to Sporks, it's called Sporks, not Forks, uh, by the way, you've been hospitalized, clinically depressed, broken your leg and hand, gashed your arm and survived hypothermia, a treacherous fall and half a dozen murder attempts. Seems I did a better job protecting you during the 17 years when you were living 1500 miles away. And now you're going to live in the woods. Does this sparkly bum even have a job? And she says, oh, daddy, there's no time for sensible concerns. I'm married and we're off to Sex Island. <laughs> uh, the second movie, though, uh, is called The Toilet Saga. <laughs> this is an even longer walk. The Toilet Saga, Bleak and Dumb. No, no. Bleak, bleak and Dumb. Uh, which does feature Vampire Bella stalking uh, a, a, a mountain lion played by uh, uh, TV's Snagglepuss. Uh, and uh, and uh, it ends with uh, with the Edward running off with Jacob. Fair. Cool. <laughs> uh, he says, I'm sorry, Rubella. Her name is Rubella, by the way. <laughs> But our entire relationship was based on frustration, mind games, and abuse. This happily ever after thing will never work, so I'm leaving you for someone who will treat me the way I need to be treated. Poorly. And then Jacob says, close your pointy mouth, blood boy, and get ready to give me a tick bath. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's funny. This is That's... the kind of humor you can expect from our upcoming episode on Twilight Parodies. <laughs> there are no fewer than like five actual novels that parody these books uh, two I major motion pictures i can't that's a i, I assume we're going to be talking mostly about the movies this is what we did with the you mean movies. vampires suck and breaking wind okay somebody used breaking wind that's why <laughs> i still have hope in this world also i'm still stuck on saying that uh, eclipse was a two-hour trailer for breaking dawn that's not true eclipse it's not is true. its own story Unacceptable. Yes. If anything, Breaking Dawn is a two-hour trailer or a four-hour trailer for uh, the following b- books and rewrites that she does of Twilight, which, whew, which we'll get to. We'll which get we'll to. get to. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We aren't done covering <laughs> Twilight, but before we move on, what's your ranking? What is your what is your ranking oh, of these movies? Uh, I was going to say, are books and movies the same? Um, They're absolutely not. Um, they are not. I think it cl- I think movie-wise, uh, I'm going to say, this is a descending order. Eclipse is the best movie. Acknowledged. Acknowledged. Breaking Dawn Part 2. This is where we start diverging. I know. <laughs> it's immediately where we start diverging. New Moon. Okay. Breaking Dawn Part 1. Twilight. <laughs> and the mind is exactly the same, but not. Because I switch... <laughs> I honestly switch both Breaking Dawn movies. Now, as we said, so good. There's a sharp drop off between the fourth and then the fifth. Like Twilight is kind of a not not like a distant fifth, but it's there's a gap there. It's a, in it's quality. A, it's certainly 
uh, like it, it's a significant gap for me the books is the books are harder because i think i would still say Ecl- eclipse is my favorite but i do also really like breaking dawn so it'd probably be we'd probably go eclipse uh eclipse breaking dawn twilight uh new moon breaking dawn as a book the second half of breaking dawn hmm. i wish was a series of books because we meet these incredible vampires. She's got these cool ideas about their powers, their origins, about the newborns and the 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 juvenile vamp like turning the whole concept of turning a, a baby into a vampire that because when you and I like this, when you turn a person into a vampire, they are arrested at that developmental stage. So when you say that Edward is 17 years old, he will always be 17, like mentally, emotionally. He won't ever mature beyond that. He will always be a 17-year-old kid, which is why Bella was so freaked out about growing older than him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do that to a two-year-old, they're arrested at two. You can't teach them to be a better person. They don't even have a moral compass yet. And they're like, one of those baby vampires would just eliminate an entire village. Like They would just kill everybody in a village without even knowing they were doing anything weird. Uh, which is why it's against the law to turn a child into a vampire because you cannot train them to be, to control themselves. Uh, and I love that concept. I want a book about those eras. I want a book about the Volturi having to track down and yeet children into bonfires. I mean, I would be, I am wondering how, because like most Twilight fanfic is about the main three characters, obviously. Yeah. I think all of these extra vampires, there's so much going on uh, social dynamics wise in the background of these books. Uh, I want more of that. Like, I yeah. want to hear about why Kate and Garrett are like, we are uh, we are disparate souls that are not in love. I want to hear about the Irish potato famine. <laughs> yes. Anything Which else. seems to have been so traumatic. They've literally never left it. Like, <laughs> they are still dressing no, no. Like, give me a, give me a book of 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 short stories or novellas written by other vampire writers. Give me a uh, Kim Newman doing uh doing the, the guy in the attic. Give me a uh, Charlene Harris doing uh you know the nomads. Get me, uh, get me some of that. Give me some lusty writers who know how to like write interpersonal drama. But mm-hmm. I want to know these character stories. Basically. Yeah, there is. A, I mean, there are a couple different Suki collections. Like there are Suki Stackhouse collections. Yeah. Uh, uh, that do the same thing where they pick vampires who are have either been in the fringes of the stories or they just have characters in Bond Temps that aren't vampires but are reacting to them. There's a fun yeah. one about like the cops in Bond Temps who are like, we don't know what's going on, which is always a I love a I love an outside rube perspective, but yeah. it would be good. Uh, it would be cool. I don't know if we're ever going to get anything like that with Twilight, although we did just get a new makeup palette, so maybe it's coming truly in vogue again. And Stephanie Meyer has gone on record. She has said that she's working on new Twilight stuff, uh, but she's going to publish a different book first. So if we ever see a new Stephanie Meyer book, then we might get the rest of some more Twilight stuff. But I'm afraid that it's just going to be the continuing adventures of Renesmee and... Which is interesting. She's a day walker. She's a half vampire. <laughs> is she going to blade out? We don't know. Could be fun. Is she be going, going to become an assassin of some kind? Who is to say? Oh, we didn't even talk about the lawyer. They didn't even have to include the lawyer, but they did. 
like the the Cullen's lawyer who's been working for the law firm who's been working for them for decades, which they could have cut all that from the movie and put in a little more character stuff, and I would have been fine. It's interesting then, in the book. Then they wouldn't have had to. They wouldn't have gotten to cast Wendell Pierce. That's true. It's cool to see him. And I guess like, you got to hey, have his. You got to have as many black people in this series as possible because there just ain't that dear many. Dear Lord, yes, we do. Okay, well, uh, what are we saying goodbye to this week? Ooh. Uh, let's say goodbye to, well, let's just say goodbye to Lee Pace, who I didn't even tell a single story about. I went to high school with him. He went to spend the night at my house for a weekend. <laughs> uh, it's fun to, it's fun to tell people that. Um, <laughs> that's, tell people that. That, that's all I really need. Uh, goodbye, Lee Pace. Goodbye, you. Lee Pace. Call me. If you remember I exist ever, let people know. <laughs> I bet he doesn't remember I exist. Goodbye, Lee Pace. Goodbye, Lee Pace.